Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hello and welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. It is Sunday, November 14th, 2021. Yes, the year is slowly but and gradually drawing to a close. But before we get to Christmas, before we get to Thanksgiving, before we get to the year end of the year, we still have three more races to go. Mark, what a weekend it was at Interlagos in Sao Paulo, Brazil. But before we get to that, how was your weekend? I know you're busy getting ready, packing bags and getting everything ready for your trip. You know, you look shockingly refreshed and, and awake. I don't know if this is a facade, but, you know, props to you for, for keeping it together, at least uh, outwardly. So I really appreciate those kind words. I'm looking at myself in the camera right now, and I certainly look a lot better than I feel inside. I feel a little bit frazzled, and it feels like collectively you and I have lived now in a 90-day-long monsoon. I cannot even remember the last time we strung more than two nice days together. So it's been dark. It's been wet. Now, selfishly, I'm excited that I'm on the verge of escaping that. But other than that, we Take that the weekend you. was... <laughs> Yeah, I would, my friend, I would love, I would love to have some adult company on this trip. But the weekend was kind of blah, you know, it was a lot of getting ready, that that typical anxiousness and anxiety before any kind of trip. And of course, it's compounded a little bit by the fact that there's these COVID protocols and doing sure. PCR tests, all that kind of stuff. But that aside, we are good to fly on Tuesday. We will be there in time to record with you for our normal Thursday night session, which typically drops for most of our listeners on Friday morning. But I am doing fantastic. But I've got a question for you before we Go even get it. started. Actually, you know what? Before the question, I have a reminder. Okay. So the reminder is, if you don't know and you haven't been listening, our first ever, first annual Scuderia F1 poster contest comes to a close on Thursday. We will be drawing not one, not two, but three winners because we've had more than 150 retweets. Now, if some miracle happens and we get to 200 by Thursday. We will draw four winners. My poor bank account will draw four <laughs> winners, but we will be doing that live during the live stream next Thursday. If you're not able to join us, you'll be able to hear it on the Friday podcast and then we'll announce it via Twitter on Friday night. We want to give those people that tune in and those people that listen to the podcast the first opportunity to find out if they did or didn't win. But before that, or I guess after that, my first question for you is, you and I have agreeably, as we tend to be with most things, mm -hmm. come to the conclusion that sprint qualifying has a little bit of work to do. Sure. The FIA, Formula One, Liberty, it's not perfect. There's something there. We can build on it. It's not perfect, but, but we don't hate it, but we don't love it. After this weekend, what is your thought on sprint qualifying Grand Prix weekends? 
Yeah, I th- I thought it worked this weekend. Uh, I I don't know if the like the the planets aligned or something just happened, <laughs> but you know there was so much drama happening both on and off the track that there was just uh, so much going on. I mean, whoever thought like I, I mean on Thursday night when we sat down we did the preview show. Whoever thought that uh, Lewis Hamilton of all people would be excluded for a technical infringement on the flexi wing? Who thought that Max would be fined fifty large for manhandling, getting his greasy mitts all over Lewis's car? And- <laughs> Park Ferme, Lewis being excluded from from qualifying, Max getting in trouble. I mean, it's just like it's been an awesome season, but there's been some weird stuff. There's been some drama, but I I, I never expected any of that. I mean, considering that Red Bull the one were the ones that were kind of the ones that uh, were were the I guess the chief suspect, primary suspect about the flexi wing way back in in Portugal earlier this year. I never thought at some point that somebody would be getting busted for it. <laughs> never thought it would be Lewis and Mercedes, but, you know, it was just, um, it was a great weekend. It, it, it really, really was. It was, it was enjoyable. It was yeah. fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. And I know we're probably due for a break because my preamble was 10 <laughs> minutes of poster talk, but I agree. And we talked a little bit about this on Thursday that this weekend, it's complex. It was compounded by the fact that there was freight issues. Maybe there could be some unexpected drama, some unexpected tension. And ultimately, the good news is while there was a lot of drama, the tensions didn't necessarily boil over like we saw at Silverstone, like we saw after Monza. Mm -hmm. It was contained. It was compact. That's good. But boy, was it an entertaining weekend. As a whole, it was entertaining. And whether the sprint qualifying format is perfect or not, and Mm -hmm. I don't think it's there yet, I was absolutely glued to my phone and my computer all day Friday, all day Saturday, all day Sunday, even post-race, I couldn't get enough of the analysis and the spaces chats and the Twitter commentary. If the sprint qualifying weekend sets out to glue people to however they consume Formula One over the course of a three-day weekend, rather than maybe maybe Wednesday or Friday, Saturday afternoon when qualifying happens and then the Grand Prix on Sunday. If the intention is to create a more compelling three-day package, it certainly accomplished it mm-hmm. with Brazil. Yeah, Sao totally. Paulo. Sao Paulo. Yeah, Sao Paulo. You know, I, I totally spaced on that as well because I put Brazil GP like a preview for the Thursday show and then I realized today, hey, we're not actually calling it Brazil anymore. We're calling it the Sao Paulo Grand Prix, but hey, whatever. Splitting hairs here. And I should just preface before we get any further into the show that, you know, regardless what we talk about and our opinions here, we're not pro-anti-Max. We're not pro-anti-Lewis. We're going to try and be as objective as we can. So please don't come for us on Twitter. Please don't come for us on the emails. You know, if you feel like we're disrespecting your boy, it's just, we're, we're trying to be as objective as we can. But, you know, it, uh, it, it certainly was a lot of fun to watch. I mean, you know, I, I thought that, you know, we're, we're unabashed homers when it comes to the North American drivers you know that that's that's out there um but you know i i thought that the, the love that lewis was getting on the the sky sports feed was it, w- it was pretty obvious at the end of the race i mean it was quite a phenomenal achievement what he did you know having to start from the back of the grid and the sprint from qualifying and then the the, the five pe- you know, grid place penalty for the the ice change still qualifying 10th and then the way he carved his way through the field. I mean, it was a phenomenal weekend for Lewis Hamilton, just considering all the adversity, all the challenges that, uh, that he had, uh, that had to face and he had to deal with 
Max, I thought, on the other hand, I thought he was very pragmatic about it in defeat. I thought he was uh, he was fairly classy about it. Just, you know what? We just didn't have the speed. And I mean, the way that Lewis blew past him was was pretty impressive. And I mean, we'll talk about the the move on Max. I mean, yeah, that that was kind of pushing your luck a little bit. I mean, it was noted by the stewards. And let's not forget that this is a guy that actually had a rule created because of his blocking maneuvers under under braking, you know, in the past. So so there's that. But before we get into it, let's do what we usually wait until the very end after we've completely broken down the entire race. So race classification. This, yeah, we're going to do the race fly- classification up front, so everybody's not all confused and wondering what the heck is going on. So the uh, the top ten finisher finishers at Sao Paulo, not Brazil, Sao Paulo Grand Prix. Lewis Hamilton winning, Max Verstappen second, Valtteri Bottas in third, Sergio Perez in the second, Red Bull fourth, Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz a fifth and sixth for Ferrari. Boy, did that third place battle in the constructors really flip on its head this weekend. Uh, Pierre Gasly in seventh for the Alpha Tauri, Esteban Ocon and uh, Fernando Alonso coming home eighth and ninth for a you know, pretty decent outing for the Alpines. And then Lando Norris, the, the sole and lone sad McLaren driver squeaking into the top 10. So you have that. Now, the Drivers' Championship is where it gets interesting. Uh, Max Verstappen, 332.5 points, leading Lewis, uh, who has 318.5. So I was going to say Sergio Bottas. That's some weird mashup that just nobody (laughs) ever asked for. Valtteri Bottas, on the other hand, he has 203 points. Sergio Perez, the real Sergio Perez, he has 178. Lando, uh, the fact that uh, he only collected a single point today, distanced a little bit in that uh, race for fourth place and Lando now has 151 points and before we start talking more about the race in detail let's look at the constructors still pretty close uh, although Mercedes did eke out and open up that gap a little bit 521 and a half for the silver arrows 11 and a half points ahead of Red Bull who have 510 and a half Ferrari 287 and a half compared to McLaren who now have 256 so that one not over but certainly not the weekend that McLaren wanted at Interlagos and then Alpine rounding out the top five in the Constructors' Championship. So yeah, interesting, interesting, interesting. And I must admit that the, uh, the the sprint qualifying was a nice surprise because I took Friday afternoon off and was able to sit down. I'm like, oh my gosh, appointment television. Let's st- sit down and get this thing uh, going. And of course, uh, you know, I, I thought it was interesting too because I I don't know if this is just me because, you know, I've, um, you know, I have a proven and documented history of not paying attention to graphics and branding, but I did notice that the, the, the race, uh, sorry, the sprint qualifying was actually called sprint there was it seemed like to me they dropped the qualifying from it so you know i know i'll be probably put on blast because last weekend even though the tongue was planted firmly in cheek when i was mentioning about how uh was it yuki's camera or whose whose camera it was so it was uh, looked like there was some kind of footage missing i was just kidding about that being a conspiracy theory Anyways, I think that this, the, the, the branding, that is legit, that uh, they did drop the qualifying from it, which, you know, I, I think it would make a big difference to it, just kind of going back full circle to what you were saying a few minutes ago, Mark, because I couldn't help that if they just just got away from the whole idea of sprint qualifying and just called it a sprint race. I think that just mentally and psychologically, I think we'd all look at it in a completely different light and probably embrace it in a completely different way. But perhaps maybe that's the way it's going to evolve here on out. 
I'm still convinced that there's work to do here, but I, I kind of liked your point at the beginning, which is maybe the stars aligned a little bit here, but I also heard something in another podcast tonight that kind of resonated with me a little bit. And it was maybe the reason the sprint qualifying session was so, so compelling, so dramatic, and so fun is because you had a ton of overtakes. And the reason mm-hmm. you had a ton of overtakes is because Lewis Hamilton was planted firmly at the back of the grid because he was disqualified from qualifying on Friday. And maybe, maybe there's some value in continuing that conversation about fitting reverse grid sprint races into the calendar. And I'm not convinced. I'm still not of the mind. I can't wrap my North American brain around the fact that (laughs) you would have a race worth points, but you would award teams that underperform relative to their peers. So I still can't wrap my head around that. But I do agree that one of the reasons that session was so fun is because there was so much overtaking and there was a ton of overtaking, like I said, because Lewis Hamilton was firmly planted at the back of the grid. So for whatever reason, for all of the different things or reasons that we can talk about, this reason was compelling, it was fun, and it was exciting. And you know, it really comes down to this. And if I'm going to recap Lewis's weekend in a nutshell, it kind of looks like this. He gets his 101st race win, which neither of us, neither of us for even a second predicted was a possibility coming into this race weekend. For me, at least, because I don't want to speak for you, but for me, at least, this Grand Prix was all about damage limitation. You're potentially going to go into three tracks, two of which we've never raced on before, but we're going to go into three tracks at race level. Going to be a little bit humid, but they should be dry. They should play into Mercedes' strengths, especially with some of the straights that we're going to see in Abu Dhabi and Jeddah, especially. So this weekend was about damage limitation. Lewis Hamilton, and if you look at his weekend, he scores his 101st. Grand Prix victory. It's his first win since, I guess, if we have to go back to Sochi, it feels like it's been an eternity. And despite that, he's, like you said earlier, only, what, 11 points behind, sorry, 14 points behind in the WDC right now. It's remarkable. But his weekend looks like this. The freight shows up late. He gets to Brazil, or he gets to Brazil after a short week after an intense battle in Mexico. He qualifies first on Friday evening. He's promptly disqualified, but we don't know that he's disqualified basically until halfway through free practice two on the Saturday. So the entire Formula One world's left sitting in tension and anxiety overnight trying to understand what happens. Parallel to that, there's this entire drama associated with the fact that fan footage shows Max Verstappen touching his car in Park Ferme, which is clearly against the rules. And if you look at the FIA international um, sporting code, it's clear that you can't quote unquote check or touch a competitor's car, really even your own. We find out, of course, on Saturday morning that he's been disqualified. He starts the sprint qualifying session in 20th after being disqualified, finds his way all the way up to 5th. But then he starts the Grand Prix in 10th because he took an internal combustion engine change, which we knew about a couple days before. But clearly, Mercedes were thinking this is probably the right place to do it because you're not going to be ultra competitive here anyways. So he starts the Grand Prix in 10th. He carves his way through the field through the course of that 71 lap ultimately dominates the Grand Prix, overtakes Max, which we'll talk about, and then just runs away with the race victory. And for me, and I tweeted this after the race, 
The reason that this weekend should be so special is for a lot of the folks that are new to Formula One, and maybe this is your first year, your second year, or your third year, you've probably seen some really dominant Lewis performances, but you've probably never seen anything like this. And I think this is a good memory for everybody to have. Whether you're new to F1, it's good to be able to say, I saw that weekend in Brazil live in 2021 when he was trying to close the gap on the championship. And likewise, if you've been following Formula One for 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 years, this was a really great opportunity to remember and to recalibrate your expectations of what Lewis is capable of. Because I think for folks like you and me, we've seen Lewis dominate in 14, 15, 17, 18, 19, 20. And I think we've just taken it for granted and assumed that a lot of that is the team, the package, the strategy. It's all of that collectively. This weekend, obviously, they had a great package. The car was great. He had a fresh internal combustion engine. But his level of execution on track, both in terms of qualifying, which, you know what, correctly, correctly was wiped from the from the record books. He was disqualified correctly. I do not debate that for a second. He broke the rule. I don't think Mercedes intentionally broke a rule, but that was correct. But his performance in sprint qualifying and the race are amongst the best of all time. And I know I'm going to get slack for that. (laughs) And there's always some recency bias, which is a very North American term. But when you look at the weekend holistically, this was an epic package. Yeah, absolutely. I've got some thoughts on that. I'll respond to it after we take a quick break here. So don't go away. We'll be back on the flip side. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right. Well, welcome back to the show. We are talking all about the 2021 Sao Paulo Grand Prix and the Masterclass and the the very, very impressive uh, performance that we saw Lewis Hamilton put on, not just on Saturday, but also, sorry, on Sunday, but Saturday, also Friday. Really, really I- impressive. And sure, I, I totally agree with what uh, you're saying, Mark, because that, that really was uh, something special. I mean, you don't see something like that happen each and every day. And I couldn't help but uh, thinking to myself, uh, at this point, what is Lewis 
Lewis racing for? He's not racing for money. He's not racing for the reputation because he's already a seven-time world champion. Yes, he'd like to go out on top as the outright number one statistically best driver of all time. I mean, he already owns records, you know, from coast to coast on the uh, the, the, the Formula One statistics and record book. But I mean, Schumacher and, and Lewis are tied on seven world championships. And I, I don't think at this point it's completely lost on Lewis. The fact that he's even in this conversation has a lot to do, especially, I know the the one that he won, uh, obviously, previous uh, b- before joining uh, Mercedes, but I think especially this unprecedented run of success since 2014 and all the titles that he's, uh, he's rattled off uh, since then. I think that Lewis, <clears throat> as much as he's racing for himself to get that outright eighth championship and be the number one best driver, uh, you know, the, the the king of the mountain in that regard, I think he's also very keenly aware that he's also racing for the people that designed the car, the people that built the car, the people that, you know, transports the equipment to the racetrack, you know, his trainers, his nutrition, everybody that, that you know, that's part of the puzzle of uh, Mercedes. I, I think that he's racing every much uh, for, for them as he is for himself. I mean, you, you heard that little clip on race radio after about lap, what was it, seven, eight, whatever it was, when Lewis was in fourth and uh, Valtteri moves past on turn three. And then, you know, he starts at that uh, run to try and charge down Sergio and pass him there. They broadcast that little thing. He said, you know, thank you, Valtteri, you know, after, you know, his teammate uh, let him through, even though, you know, there's obviously team orders were going to be there. So, I mean, he's aware of the big, uh, big, big picture there. And I, I think that, like I say, as much as he's racing for himself, I think he's trying to win this one for, for everybody else as well. Definitely. I think a big part of that, and I don't want to discredit Max, and I I always have to tread a little bit cautiously when I get a little bit too maybe excitable or I flex a little bit too much on, <laughs> on Lewis because there's, there's so much tension within the Formula One community right now. Sure. But I think a big part of what you're speaking to is a byproduct of the fact that Lewis, been, Lewis has been a part of that Mercedes team since the V8 era. And, and you recall, and I recall, because we probably had conversations about this with our friends. But when Lewis left McLaren, which was in a bit of internal disarray, especially with Ron Dennis running the show and just a few years clear of Spygate and some of the the other things that that team was unfortunately wrapped up in, when he departed McLaren and he went to Mercedes, it wasn't even remotely a slam dunk that it was going to be a successful transition. And I think a lot of people at time thought, hey, you know what? He He's had a good career. And this is Lewis in 2012. He's had a good career. He's had a good run. He's in his mid to late 20s. He has a championship. He came close a second time. He's going to run out his career. He's going to run out the clock with Mercedes, and it's not going to be a successful project. He goes to Mercedes, and in 2013, this is the last year of the V8, they were relatively competitive. They they certainly weren't competing for a title with the likes of Red Bull, but they were relatively competitive. But I think my point is he's been with that team since the very beginning of the journey that they went on following that. So he's been there with Toto this entire time. He's been there with the development of the V6 turbo hybrids. He's been there as we took that journey with the 2014 to 2016 cars. He was there as they developed and he provided feedback on the 2017 cars. He is no doubt 
intimately familiar with the 2022 car because mm-hmm. he's probably seeing it and talking about it and providing feedback. And he's probably been there as long as most of the people in the two factories have been. So he's very much enmeshed and embedded in the fabric and the culture of that team. And I think one of the things that he does really well is he shows his appreciation to the team. And one of the things that we haven't seen as much because of COVID, but during off weeks, he would regularly go back to Brackley to celebrate titles and wins with the team at the factory. He's in the factory. He's around people. So he's he's well-loved within that team. Max, meanwhile, is it's a little bit more difficult to kind of draw that point of comparison. He has been in, he has been in Formula One for, I guess this is his seventh year at the premier level. He's been with the Red Bull team for six years or almost six full years with the Milton Keynes team. Now that team's been probably not as smooth and consistent as the Mercedes team because obviously Mercedes supplies their own engines and they design all of their cars and their components internally, except for those parts that they have to buy externally. He, with Max, he's been with that team. There's been some disruption there with Renault. That wasn't a good fit. They made the transition to Honda. Um, I think he's still well-respected. I just don't know that he's necessarily loved in the same way within that team as Lewis is. But then maybe I'm reading too much into this. And at the end of the day, all it takes to be loved within a team is to be able to deliver wins Mm -hmm. and be able to deliver prize money, which obviously Max has been doing in spades this year. You know, one, one thing I, I was thinking about this the, the other week when we were talking about Lewis, I think the previous time we talked about, the, you know, he's the, on the cusp of uh, potentially winning, you know, an unparalleled and unprecedented eighth world championship. And I just, uh, I couldn't help but think about it again just now when you were just talking about the fact that when he left McLaren in 12, or sorry, 13, goes to Mercedes in 2014, just, you know, the the gamble that it was, I mean, it, like you say, it was by no means a slam dunk that Mercedes was going to be not only just competitive, but this uber dominant world beating team that nobody's going to be able to catch up and match for basically a decade. Nobody saw that. Nobody. And, I, and if they say they did, they're lying. Or they, they're just, uh, by you know, I should be giving that person a phone call to get me the winning exactly. lottery numbers for, for next <laughs> week. But I couldn't help but thinking if that hadn't worked, if it hadn't worked out, are we sitting here now having a completely different conversation as Lewis's career draws to a close that maybe we're talking about him in, in a similar manner, but somewhat differently than Fernando Alonso, who won two world championships very early on in his career and then just was never able to deliver again. I mean, there's obviously a lot more going on with the whole Fernando Alonso story, but I mean, Fernando wins uh, two championships in 05 and 06. Then Lewis, I mean, he comes into to Formula One a couple of years later. He wins a championship fairly early on. And yeah, I mean, basically right away, right? And then, um, I mean, it takes him several more years to win that first one with uh, Mercedes. But you yeah, know, it's so yeah. it's crazy. It was a six-year gap between yep. his Mercedes title and his McLaren title. Yeah, I couldn't help but uh, thinking that you know if that Mercedes gamble didn't pay off, I mean Lewis made might have just been you know a footnote to Formula One history. That yeah, he was a very very talented driver, but you know apart from that really early on success, he just never had the car. Was just never with the right team at the right time to deliver. I mean, obviously that's a conversation that we're not having in this reality in this universe, but it was uh, something that. That, uh, it was one of those gambles that just paid off. Like everything just worked out. You know, they just had the right people in all areas of that team. 
Do you agree though? And I, I would credit Max in very much the same way because I think people are quick to discredit Lewis because he had a great car. And I'm mm-hmm. so sick of hearing that argument because what I don't think people realize is how involved the drivers are in the design and the development of the cars. They give endless streams of feedback to the engineers, mm-hmm. to the designers, to the aerodynamicists. Endless feedback that so much of what ends up on the track is based on the feedback that's coming from the driver. So I think sometimes you also hear this criticism of Red Bull in the sense that, hey, they do a really good job of building a car for Max. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think that's true. I just think Max is able to give them incredibly strategic, tactical feedback, and they're able to execute on that feedback. And I just don't think he's been partnered with a driver that's necessarily been at his level and is able to drive a car at the limit in the the way that he has. So when I see people making that criticism of Lewis, well, he's lucky he's had a great car. I actually see, think of that more as a compliment. Yes, he has a great car because he helped design it. He mm-hmm. didn't walk into a team that was already winning titles. He helped deliver titles to them because one, he was able to execute on the track, but also because he was a big, big piece of helping to design the cars that would ultimately carry him to those championships and carry Mercedes to those championships. Yeah, I, I think that is definitely something that uh, gets under-discussed uh, for, for both of those guys, uh, honestly. But the the one thing that I think both Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton have in common, and I, I think this goes for any of the great drivers across all the eras of Formula One, you could put them in a shopping cart and they would still be able to drive the wheels off of that thing because you know it may not be able to, might not be the best car out there. But I mean, we, we've seen it from Max so over the past couple of years. Yeah, it's been a good car, but it hasn't necessarily been a great car. And it definitely hasn't been a car that could uh, match a Mercedes um, very much like we've seen uh, this year. And I think that, uh, you know, Max has that, that, that's, you know, that, what do you want to call it? Intangible quality of just being able to drive the car to the edge of the envelope and beyond. Lewis is one of those guys. Schumacher was one of the guys. Senna was one of those guys. I think we've even seen it with, with Charles Leclerc. If you want to take another one of the current class of Formula One drivers, these drivers are able to get every inch of performance out of these cars and even even more and uh, it, it really really is uh, fascinating and you know we, we've given we've shown Lewis a lot of love for what he did at Sao Paulo this weekend and, and rightly so I mean like you say this was a performance for the for, for the ages and this will be one that we'll all sit back and talk about at the end of the season next year five years ten years down the road and it, it really was something uh, spectacular but I think it was really interesting too. I just want to come, I'll sort of set this up uh, a little bit, but I watched the the sprint race on Saturday and this morning before the race actually started, I went back and watched the highlights uh, for, for the Saturday sprint race. It was 10 minutes long and it was 10 minutes of pure action. And I mean, usually when you get like extended highlights of anything that's like 10 minutes long, there's a lot of filler in there, but there, there wasn't anything. But I think what was very interesting for me going into the, the, the sprint race on Saturday, you had uh, Valtteri Bottas and Max Verstappen on the front row. Max just did not get a good start. Valtteri Valtteri gets a good start, beats him into turn one, going through the Senna S and then into Curva del Sol, into turn three. And, you know, they, they just, Max just didn't have that, uh, you know, that, you know, he just didn't have it. He had a, didn't have a good of a start. But on Sunday, it was completely the opposite. Max had a really, really good start. You know, Bottas had a good start, but Max was better. He got more traction. And it was interesting, too, because they even uh, re- remarked on it as the cars were coming up to the grid that Lewis was really, um, you know, taking his time to get to the grid. And, you know, the cars at the front, their tires are getting cold. They're sitting there. But again, we saw a really, really brave 
determined move from Max Verstappen. Wasn't reckless. He didn't push, you know, take a real risk or it was, you know, anything that was was foul. I mean, obviously later on that move with Lewis in turn four was, you know, noted by the stewards and was uh, obviously, uh, you know, pushing the limits of, uh, of fair play. I think that's, you know, a polite way of uh, pushing it or putting it. But that move that he put on Bottas to take the lead on the first lap going into that first corner, I think, again, was uh, very much like we saw last week in Mexico City. Brave move, outbraked him, picked his uh, you know picked his breaking point, picked his line through the corner, and you know again I I thought to myself you know if if this is you know turns out to be Max's year and he wins this championship that could be one of the moments you know like very much Mexico I mean to me it was just a really 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 good move made by like an int- incredibly good driver and uh, I I thought this this is the kind of thing that you know, separates winners from losers. That's the kind of move that you see a champion make. <laughs> and then, of course, you know, he kind of, you know, flipped it on its head and then left me kind of cringing later in the race when, uh, you know, he pushed Lewis and himself both wide going into that uh, turn four. We'll talk about that uh, in a minute, but I'd like you to hear your take on that. I think your analysis was really good. And I think we should probably also give Valtteri Bottas a little bit of credit because I think I slandered him endlessly last Sunday (laughs) and again on Thursday based on that start in Mexico City after he qualified on pole. But he was exceptional. He was absolutely exceptional in the sprint qualifying session today. I'll, I'll quickly provide some insights and some thoughts on the race as well. But I did find it really interesting that, and this was... There's quite a bit of foresight in Christian Horner's comments here, but I I took note of these quotes because I thought they would be good to reflect back on. This is Christian Horner speaking shortly after the sprint qualifying session. He says, Lewis Hamilton's sheer speed was mind-boggling. Lewis's straight line speed is just mind-boggling, he told Sky Sports. We've seen this coming for a few races now. In Turkey, it started to be there. In Mexico, we saw the straight line speed. I think they were about 14 kilometers an hour quicker at the end of the straights than we (laughs) were, so it's no no great surprise. We saw yesterday that it's phenomenal, he added, especially with the size of the rear wing that they have on their car. Revealing that the team's design guru, this article continues, Adrian Newey had spoken with the Interlago stewards, Horner said, it's something that is enabling the car to do that kind of speed. Something must happen because physics wouldn't allow. The kind of horsepower delta that you would need to achieve that would be pretty significant, he continued. So we're obviously trying to understand what it is and to go from there. Finally, he says, it's down to the FIA to police said Horner the rules are quite concerned or quite concise they're ever more constricted so I'm not sure if he's simply acknowledging the fact that we're seeing some really strong performance gains from Mercedes especially in these straights or whether he's inferring or he's insinuating perhaps that there's something greater at play than simply them finding some additional speed through some aerodynamic upgrades and maybe inferring that there's something there from a power unit perspective but I think the raw power that we saw from the Mercedes cars this weekend was simply phenomenal and Mm -hmm. like like Chris Christian Horner himself says, we we saw a little bit of this. It was it was teased a little bit in Russia. It was teased a little bit in Turkey. We saw a little bit of it perhaps at, at Coda, but for whatever reason, Mercedes were able to bring it all together this weekend. And I think one of the things that makes Interlago so great, and it's funny, man, like a couple of years ago, we were talking about the end of Interlagos. We were talking about the fact that this race was done. It was dusted. They were moving the Brazilian Grand Prix to Rio. They were going to build a brand new track in Rio, 
thank goodness that didn't happen. And I also can't help but think that the fact that it was renamed the from the Brazilian Grand Prix to the Sao Paulo Group Grand Prix was largely to to flex on the fact that Rio lost in their bid to steal the race <laughs> away from them. But I think if there was ever any energy or efforts within that country to relocate the Formula One Grand Prix, I think it would be met with huge resistance from the world of Formula One because it was fantastic. But Mercedes looked fantastic. That top line speed that we all knew was there and we've all been talking about for some time was on full display. But one of the things that makes this track so special is to me, it's like a go-kart track. It's very small. It's got 41 meters of elevation. You can see the track rise. You can see it fall. That's 120 feet for all of our American listeners that love when we do the translation for you. It's that, right? Like there's three feet to every meter. Uh, well, one meter is 3.28 feet. So more. So let's say 150 feet of elevation. My math is terrible, but it was great. (laughs) And it really looked like Mercedes had really dialed in that car for that middle sector. Um, and then ultimately they were able to just deliver everywhere else. But to that point about Max, you know, I think one of the things that he understands as well as anybody in the sport, and I don't say this to be disingenuous or to be sarcastic, but he absolutely recognizes the value of having clean air and being in front of the field because it preserves your tires. You can go for a longer stint. You can you can dictate strategy and he is not comfortable being in second or being in third or being caught in traffic. He can certainly execute when he has to, mm-hmm. but I think he recognizes this that if there's an opportunity early in the race to break through and find that clean air out front, you got to do it because he does not want to be in somebody else's dirty air. He does not want to be absorbed at somebody else's engine heat. He does not want to be in that turbulent air. So he has consistently found a way to break through. And we saw that in Mexico City. And then sadly, we saw that today. And by sadly, I mean, I was hoping for a more competitive first couple of laps. And I was hoping that, you know, Bottas was going to display a little bit of what we saw in the sprint qualifying session, which was some really terrific pace. Um, but unfortunately, you know, Max was able to break through. And I'm sitting there at that point thinking, well, the race is done. And then it quickly became a Red Bull 1-2 because Sergio Perez broke through as well. But ultimately, I would say that the performance from Bottas, even though he didn't win this race, was very, very strong. He did the right things from a team perspective. But Max looked exceptional early on, and I thought he was going to romp to a victory. But no criticism of Max over that that early overtake, which I agree with you, was very clean and exceptionally well executed. Yeah, I mean, it, w- it was aggressive and there was no room for error on that. But I mean, he he pulled it off. And I think that was just, uh, you know, amazing. But uh, just before we go into our, our break here, we'll, we'll, we'll pick it up on the other side. And I was just uh, thinking, again, you come down to the discussion is mostly about Lewis versus Max, you know, this, uh, you know, the storyline that's been there all year long. But you know what? What is e- equally interesting is just the delta between you know Mercedes number one and Mercedes number two, Red Bull yes, number one yes, and Red Bull yes. number two. You know, it uh, you know it it really is quite staggering. I mean, obviously those uh, resources and the focus is going to go into the two championship uh, you know protagonists. But I mean, it was uh, it was something. I mean, you got to show uh, you know a bit of respect to uh, Sergio because I mean he did really put up a valiant effort to try and block uh, Lewis and kind of run that interference between him and and, and Max. 
And I mean, he did uh, get past there at uh, at turn four, I think it was. And then um, Sergio, being quite cheeky, you know, comes back in the next DRS zone and takes the place back. <laughs> I mean, you know, he, it only kind of postponed the inevitable by another lap. But, uh, you know, you, you could tell, I mean, he was there and uh, he was really trying to, you know, play that, uh, you know, that that team role and, and do what he needed to, to, to do for Max and do for what he needed to do uh, for Red Bull. Anyways, quick break. We'll be back on the flip side. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, everybody, welcome back. And just a comment from Steve Williams in the YouTube live chat. And uh, Steve has to say, I feel like there's been so many moments this year that uh, we have all said we will be talking about for years to come. We have been spoiled this season. And, you know, I, I totally agree. I totally Can agree. Can I add something onto that real yeah, quick? Yeah, go ahead. One of the constant narratives from people this year, and I say people so vaguely and generally, it's a little bit dangerous because I'm notorious <laughs> for that. But one of the comments that I've heard so much uh, this year is that this is an all-time great championship. This is a championship for the ages. I'm just like, no, it's not. Like, it's it's good because it's close. I've really been uncomfortable with some of the vitriol and some of the negativity between this team LH camp and the team max camp. I didn't like the way that some team principals, Christian Horner, especially were playing up some of this more, I would say dangerous rhetoric in the media, but overall I thought it was a good championship, but not a great one. I'm now evolving my position or my position is starting to evolve that after this weekend, I'm starting to agree that, yeah, this is actually becoming an all time great championship. And if you backtrack and you look at the calendar year to date, you know, it was Lewis Max 1-2 in Bahrain. It was 1-2 in Imola. It was 1-2 in Portugal. It was 1-2 in Spain. Max wins in Monza. They both, neither finishing the points in Azerbaijan. It's a 1-2 in France. It's a 1-2 in Austria. Max finishes first in um, in Austria after the, because of course they had two races. Then Lewis wins in uh, Great Britain. Lewis finishes second in Hungary. Then Max wins wins in Belgium, Max wins in Netherlands, but Lewis is second. They both they both DNF in in Monza for all the reasons that we know. It's a 1-2 in Russia, it's a 2-5, it's a 1-2, it's a 1-2, it's a 1-2. Like the 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 degree of separation between these two years, it this drivers this year is you think that you've got it figured out that aha you know what? Red Bulls unlocked this this downforce, this aero-driven downforce. They've got it locked up. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden Mercedes has developed this top line speed and you're aha, Mercedes has got it figured out. And then we go into Coda and Red Bull wins. And then we go into Mexico City and and 
and Max absolutely dominates. And then we go into Brazil where we're expecting another Red Bull domination. And we're just hoping that for the sake of the championship, to preserve the championship, that Mercedes is going to be able to execute some degree of damage limitation, but all of a sudden it's Mercedes that absolutely romps in this race. And let's not forget that in the sprint qualifying session, Lewis could see Sergio Mm -hmm. like that. That's, that's how far he made his way through that field that this championship is becoming something special. And I have to keep taking all that negative rhetoric and all of that Twitter noise. And I have to compartmentalize that and put that aside because if I look at the championship in isolation and I kind of put on the blinders, it's been a terrific championship between two world-class drivers. And I love the point that you made a second ago. If you look at the deltas between Max and Sergio and the deltas between Lewis and and Bottas, and then Sergio versus the rest of the field, and Bottas versus the rest of the field. Like, let's be honest, Bottas is driving effectively the same car as Lewis, and Sergio is driving the same car as Max. They are not even in the same hemisphere of execution (laughs) and performance this year. Yeah, no, totally. I I mean, that's what I find uh, so interesting. But I mean, just more to your point about the way that this uh, season is really kind of boiled up to this uh you know this 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 crescendo i guess uh, is probably the way that's better it's really built up i mean it's it's been fun to watch lewis and max trade punches basically right from uh, bahrain right, way back at the uh, at the end of march but i mean they're you know they aren't the only two guys that have been winning uh, sorry winning races this year sergio won a race um, Esteban Alcon won, won a race. Uh, Danny Ricardo won a race. Uh, Bottas won won a race. So I mean, we we've had uh, six drivers win races uh, this year. I mean, you know, obviously Lewis and Max have won the the the, the majority, but I mean, there's some great other stories in there. I mean, uh, you know, Perez's uh, win in Azerbaijan was something special. Esteban's win in Hungary was something special. Ricardo's win in Monza was fantastic. It was completely. Out of uh, you know left field, nobody expected it, and you know I, I don't want to throw any shade and kind of uh, downplay uh, you know uh, Bottas winning a race. I mean, I mean, unfortunately for him, it's it's the only win that he's likely to get uh, this year. Whereas you know over the past several years, he's usually had a couple or several uh, each and every year. I mean, there was that opportunity, perhaps maybe he might be able to pull something off last week in uh, in in Mexico, but I mean that was done by turn one. And then, uh, of course, he ended up uh, pointing the wrong way, <laughs> looking uh, down down the track uh, after that. But I mean, there there have been so many great uh, storylines uh, this year, and uh, it's it's just been uh, fun watching. I mean, uh, I think that if uh, the the way that you look at it, I mean, if uh, Lewis wins the next two races and Max finishes second, the the next two races, I think if my math math is correct, I think then we go to Yas in about a month, and they'll be even on points. Which I mean, you think that that uh, that race back in twenty six for the title between Lewis and Nico was 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 intense this will be that battle on steroids it will be absolutely epic and I mean you know add that to the fact that we're going to a Yas that is not a Yas Marina that we're used to I mean this reprofiled track which kind of throws a bit of a you know a a monkey wrench into the work I, I mean all of these tracks that were coming up Lusail is brand new in Qatar next week. Then we're going to Jeddah and Saudi after that. That's a brand new track. I mean, and boy, is it going to be brand new. I mean, this is going to be, paint is still going to be drying on the curbs by the time we get there. <laughs> so and then we get to Yas Marina in just over a month time. And, uh, you know, I mean, they're they're familiar with it, but, you know, the bank cornering, the way that this track has been reprofiled, I think is going to be really, really cool. And I mean, as we talked about, I mean, things, you know, do tend to favor Mercedes, you know, at least on, on paper. But 
I, I couldn't help but uh, thinking, you know, when you were saying that, okay, we're going to enter Lagos, this is going to be a track that's, uh, you know, still, you know, at altitude, you know, not quite as high as Mexico City, but still at altitude. So that should uh, favor, uh, or, or maybe not favor um, Red Bull outright, but definitely advantage of Red Bull. And it was completely unexpected what we saw from, from Lewis Hamilton, like you said, they, they romped, Lewis romped all weekend long, I mean, despite all the, the, the challenges that he faced. And I thought that the language was very interesting because at the end of the race, you have the likes of Christian Horner and Max Verstappen talking about and using the term damage limitation because, you know, I, I think if you're a fan of Lewis right now, you're thinking this was a great weekend. You know, we picked up so many valuable points. Whereas, you know, if you're a fan of Max Verstappen, yeah, you know, this wasn't the weekend that we were expecting and we've conceded a lot of uh, valuable points. But I, I think just in the broader perspective, now that uh, we have these three races left as we head back to the Middle East now to close the season up, is that, uh, you know, it could be potentially an epic ending uh, to, to this year. I'm, I'm just hoping that, that uh, you know, number one, that neither of these guys has a DNF or has some, you know, unfortunate you know, circumstances out on the track. That uh, that denies us of this uh, this battle that uh, that we've been watching and 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 has been so enjoyable. I mean, apart from the time that Max parked his car on Lewis's lid at, uh, at Monza, yeah. that was uh, yeah. obviously a bit of a blight. And then uh, obviously also the incident Monza, or sorry, not Monza at um, at Silverstone wasn't the you know that kind of really triggered a lot of the you know bad feelings and things like that but i mean if these guys can can just race and i mean i think after we saw it uh, too at uh, that turn four incident i think maybe this is the the, the perfect time to talk about it now you heard uh, christian horner on the radio to uh to, to, to michael massey saying let these guys just race and you know Let's be fair. I mean, Max was on the dirty side of the track, and you know perhaps that uh, had something to do with it. I mean, no doubt he braked as late as he possibly could. I mean, th- there was a bit of desperation in that move. He went, uh, he went too deep into the corner. He pushed himself wide, and he pushed the Lewis wide. You know, thankfully they didn't collide. Thankfully that uh, didn't come to tears because we'd be having a completely different uh, conversation now. Like I, I think that it was. I think it was right that the stewards noted the incident. I don't think that it needed to go as far as to be investigated. But let's be fair. It was right at the absolute limits of what was an acceptable defense, uh, defensive move from uh, Max Verstappen to preserve his lead there. I was hoping you weren't going to pause because I didn't even want to necessarily address this because <laughs> it's, it's such... Uh, it's such a minefield, this conversation. It can be. Mostly because it's that kind of Max versus Lewis conversation and it can ignite controversy. But I'm all for for racing. And that exact quote, because I just looked it up while you're talking, that exact quote from Christian Horner was, Michael, that's all about letting them race. And I think this is that moment in the championship. And we see this sometimes in the NBA as well. And, and even the NFL and the NHL, where there's a point where the referees put away the whistles. It might be yep. the third quarter, the fourth quarter. It's a close game in the finals or a championship and no referee, no sport wants to see a championship decided by a controversial call. And I think the FIA in the role of the referee has started to pocket the whistle a little bit. So maybe, maybe if this was Bahrain or maybe if this was Australia in a normal year, maybe they do investigate this. And I'm not going to get too worked up about it simply because it didn't ultimately dictate or Mm -hmm. impact the outcome of the race. 
I'm agreeable in the sense that I don't recall him running that wide on any other lap. I I also agree that he probably ran wide because if he tried to stay tighter to the racing line, he would have ridden the curb and possibly damaged the underside of his car or his front wing or the end plates, which we've seen consistently at this track over the years. Um, it's also, and I'm not even going to get into the whole conspiracy theory piece, but it's also true that the stewards didn't have access to the camera that would have shown the position of his steering wheel in that moment. Mm-hmm. Did he make an effort to turn in? Did he turn away from the corner? We don't know because we didn't have access to that camera. And maybe if it was there, it would have been a more conclusive ruling or they would have decided to investigate it. But ultimately, I'm a big advocate for letting them race. And when we talked about Silverstone, you know what? I could have taken the penalty. I would have been fine if there wasn't a penalty. In in Italy at, at Monza, when they ended up on top of each other, that was unfortunate. And the way it played out afterwards was horrendous, especially with the whole debate about should Max have gone and seen Lewis? Was Lewis good? Did he know? He shouldn't have walked across the track. All of that noise was terrible. Mm-hmm. But ultimately to me, I would have been fine if that was deemed a racing incident. Here, it was a little bit flagrant just because he pushed him so wide and we didn't consistently see that on other laps throughout the race. But I think for me, one of the things that the FIA and Liberty is going to have to get really straight going forwards is you are going to take this burgeoning U.S. audience and you're going to confuse them and you're going to frustrate them and you're (laughs) going to potentially turn them off if you can't be absolutely by the books when it comes to these type of calls. Like we talked about this all season with track limits. Yeah, you know exactly. What? There would be races where they didn't call it at all, or there'd be races where they would call it for one team, but not another team. And there'd be races where, hey, we're going to call track limits in laps 30 to 50, but not one to 20 or laps 50 to 61. Like it feels like in many ways, the FIA has been all over the map this year. So if this wasn't a racing incident, that's fine. Or if this was considered a racing incident, that's fine. But you have to be able to judge and adjudicate and litigate every instance like that with the same lens. And that's not what we've seen this year. So again, I'm cool. Let's move on. It Mm -hmm. didn't dictate the outcome of the race, but my point being the FIA has to find a way to be more strategic and they have to be far more consistent when it comes to adjudicating these types of moments. Because what I saw today was Michael Massey saying, we do not want the stewards to be influencing the outcome of a championship. If there was no physical contact between these two cars, hands off, no matter what Max did or didn't do, we don't want to be seen to be influencing the championship because we don't don't want to be wearing that label. That's that's the way I read this today. Yeah, yeah, totally. I got some thoughts on that. We're going to take one final break, and when we come back, we'll just uh, sorry address that and much more. So don't go away. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week. You can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, well, welcome back to the show. Just uh, talking about that move, that blocking maneuver of uh, Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton later on in the race at turn four. And when I say that uh, I think it was at the limits of what was acceptable, I mean, 
I mean it from the point that I think that you know Red Bull did have some sort of defense to stand on, right? I mean, you could make the argument that you know he outbraked himself. I mean, well, I mean then you have to have the awareness of your car and being responsible and keeping it under control. I mean, he was on the dirty side of the track. I mean, there was there was enough there. I mean, uh, you know, Christian Horner said as much that uh, you know that uh, that it was defendable, basically the maneuver that that Max. Uh, made or however played out, whereas Total was saying the fact that it wasn't investigated, he wasn't punished, was laughable. I mean, th- those are reactions I think that uh, you know are completely expected and logical from both Christian Horner and uh, and Total Wolf. But you know, uh, obviously, we, we don't want to see the stewards uh, get involved because, uh, like you say, I mean, because if, if they get involved in too many of these controversial uh, decisions that influence the or maybe not influence, but you know, out and out uh, affect the outcome of a race. Then it becomes like a kind of a taint. Is like, okay, is this like, a, are we watching like you know boxing in you know years and decades gone past? You know, like you know, I mean, boxing sadly has that, uh, you know, that uh, that that reputation of uh, being uh, you know a little bit uh, biased. <laughs> Let's put it that way, without uh, being too incendiary, but. Yeah, I mean, I very much agree with the, your, your take there. But I mean, it would have been completely different if uh, Lewis is trying to pass him on the outside of the corner and Max plows into the side of him and, uh, you know, puts Lewis out of the race and then say he limps around and just has to, uh, you know, get a, a new front wing or, or something, you know, where he collects points, increases his championship lead, and then, then Lewis, you know, collects a donut and, you know, retires from the race. I mean, that would be, uh, you know, obviously a very, very different conversation that we'd be having this evening. The other thought we should probably reflect on as well is subsequent to that maneuver at turn four, there was an awful lot of Max waving about on the straights. And again, I don't want to anger, infuriate Max Army, um, but ultimately that wasn't a good look either. The fact that there was so much movement on the straights and people have been arguing that he was trying to keep heat in his tires. That's not how you do it at that point in a race with that amount of mileage on the tires. That wasn't a, a good look either. But ultimately, I, I appreciate from his perspective, there was some panic and there was some urgency and he was looking to defend and he probably saw what could have been a race a championship lead of possibly 29 points evaporating before his eyes and rapidly becoming 14. But I didn't like that. In fact, I think I disliked that even more than that maneuver in turn four. It was pretty convenient as well how quickly Christian Horner was was on the radio with respect <laughs> to that uh, T4 corner. But again, my point here is I'm not necessarily going to put Red Bull and Max on blast because it's the FIA and it's Liberty that's allowed drivers to think that maneuvers like that are okay and if they're not going to if they're not going to investigate it and if they're not going to penalize it we shouldn't even be talking about it because yeah. the sport the governing body that adjudicates the racing that takes place on the track is clearly articulated that this is okay but again I'm of the mind that the FIA has got work to do from a consistency perspective and also furthermore that because there was no physical contact between the two cars they didn't want to be seen to be influencing the outcome of a championship with three races left. Totally. A um, couple of things uh, I wanted to talk about uh, before we uh, just uh, jump into the mailbag. I know you got a couple of questions uh, teed up there. Um, one thing I you know I always find this is just sort of a comment of uh, Lewis in general. I always uh, you know love how he uh, addresses the, you know, the 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 crowd and obviously some races, some tracks, some countries 
are much more pro Lewis uh, than, than than others. And Brazil, they obviously uh, you know really really love Max or sorry uh, Lewis at uh, Sao Paulo, and I love how he always uh, plays them. You know uh, you know well what a great uh, you know what a great crowd you know the fans here are great and stuff like that. And I mean, he knows how to play to people's uh, sentimentalities and uh, sentimentalities, and you got to love him for that. I mean, uh, you know, he's always one to pay tribute to, to the fans. But I couldn't help uh, but thinking that, you know, if uh, Lewis was a rock star, you know, it's like, oh, nobody rocks like Sao Paulo rocks, and then like a week later, nobody rocks like New York City yes, rocks. Yes, yes. You know? <laughs> he's I like that rap star that rolls into your city wearing the hockey jersey on the stage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, I always knew he was a Seattle Kraken fan. Yeah. Like, no, he's playing it to the crowd. But Lewis obviously has an affinity for Brazil. Brazilian fans totally. because of his passion and his love for Senna and uh, a lot of folks and and friend of the show Kate was messaging me tonight and she was she was asking as well like what is the reaction to Canada when when Hamilton comes through and I'm like it's always been very positive he mm-hmm. thinks highly of the Canadian crowd he's been successful there yep. a lot of cheers because what I didn't like really in Mexico City and in Coda was the amount of booing that Lewis mm. got and if you want to cheer for a driver that is awesome cheer your heart out. I just I don't think booing's necessary or required, but it was really nice to see in Brazil. And I saw some really great clips from fans that were in the crowd that, hey, Max drives by, there isn't a sound. There isn't a sound. It's like 2 a.m. in a quiet barn. I don't know if barns are quiet. <laughs> in the um, but when Lewis drove by, they just erupted. And that was yeah. nice to see because I found it a little bit distasteful that in the last two Grand Prix, especially the race in Mexico, that there was so much booing for Lewis. And I, I get it. Like, we understand why there were a ton of Red Bull fans at at Coda. I think people in the U.S. really love to cheer for the, the underdog. And in Mexico, there was obviously that Sergio connection through Red Bull. So they were obviously the favorites. But I don't necessarily like to see the booing, uh, especially of somebody like Lewis that has been so important to the sport. But it was nice to see that he got a little bit of love today and he was able to deliver for, for a crowd and for a fan base that has obviously embraced him in the same way that he's embraced them over the years. Yeah, was that also a reference to Snoop Dogg with the uh, you know like the you know the jersey you know like on stage? Yeah, I, I, the, Snoop's one of those. Definitely <laughs> one of those. <laughs> All right, um, let's uh, take a look now at uh, some of the other things that went on on Sunday afternoon. Obviously, a big one was the fact, and we we talked about it uh, very early on in the show. The fact that we saw the Ferraris come home fifth and sixth. How that's kind of blown that. Um, that's race, if you want to call it that, uh, between themselves and McLaren wide open, uh, Danny Ricardo having a power unit uh, issue with the Mercedes engine, and then Lando obviously having a puncture after he uh, touched uh, with uh, with um, uh, Carlos Sainz uh, going into turn one and getting the puncture, ending up at the back of the, uh, the, the field there. Manages to score a single point, but uh, th- this is one that uh, a battle that we've been watching between these two, um, you know, teams for for weeks and weeks and weeks. Ferrari has now opened up a little bit of daylight uh, between themselves and uh, McLaren going into the last uh, three races of, of the season, and I'm not really too sure what to to, to make about this. But I'm I'm you know hundred percent that if you're McLaren right now, you've got to be concerned of what happened. At uh, at Sao Paulo on Sunday afternoon because this was not the weekend that they that they they obviously expected or and obviously it's not the weekend that they wanted. One, I feel good about this in the sense that my prediction is coming true, and my predictions rarely ever come true. But during our <laughs> mid season during our mid season preview show, 
I definitely called on Ferrari finding some separation, especially after they were able to install that power unit upgrade in both of the cars. And it was a staggered strategy when they finally did deploy it. But I think it's less that- When did that- they do that? Sorry to jump in. Was that as far back as, uh, what was it, uh, Belgium and then Russia? Yeah, it was about I'm in sorry, about two months ago, calendar. wasn't it? Yeah, and it wasn't all at once. I think the expectation was, so it was announced during the summer break, and I think they were pretty clear at that point that it wouldn't be available in both of the cars for at least the first three races after the summer break. But obviously it's provided some additional boost and certainly helped their top line speed by as much as 10 to 15 kilometers an hour. Some people would argue less. But I think what's been more of a mystery to me or what has been the mystery is the lack of performance from, and not even just the lack of performance, but the lack of execution from McLaren. So if you look at the eight starts that Ferrari has had since Turkey, so we're talking eight combined starts from the two drivers over those four fin or those four races, they have eight point finishes, a fourth and eighth, a fourth, a seventh, a fifth, a sixth, and another fifth and a sixth. If you look at the combined finishes of McLaren over the same stretch of races, you have a 7-13, a 5 and 8, a 10, a 12, a 10, and a retirement. Just collectively combined, they have really started to struggle, not so much since Monza, but maybe from Russia, because they had a double points finish in Russia, Russia, including um, including I, I think a fastest lap, but they've really struggled collectively over the course of the last four races. And to your point, we're starting to see that reflected in the constructors championship because there's now that 31 and a half point gap between the two teams. And I think with three races left, that might be insurmountable for McLaren at this point. Yeah, it's certainly uh, not looking good for them now. But I mean, it was it's really kind of interesting. I mean, just how relatively quick these these things can turn around in Formula One, because you go away from from Mons and the fa- fabulous result that they had there. And then you go over to Sochi a couple of weeks later. I mean, Lando looking so good. And then everything unravels in those last couple of re- uh, laps when the, when the rain hits and, you know, like that whole, you know, you know mess that that turned into. And, and since then, I mean, it's been a little bit uh, hit and miss. There just hasn't been as much uh, consistency. I mean, it, it seems like um, McLaren's been struggling a little bit to find um, find their groove a little bit. It just seems like they're, they're just not... You know, they're just not all on the same page, you know, like the entire team. I mean, I mean, obviously, that's a a bit of a, a simplification. But Ferrari is obviously, as as you pointed out, I mean, the results, the stats don't lie. I mean, they've been, um, you know, quietly you know, more consistent and been getting the, the, the better results where maybe the focus is more on McLaren because, you know, I think that that win that weekend in Italy is still relatively fresh in our minds. And um, I guess, uh, you know, at least from from my perspective, that that sort of translates, well, you know, they should still, they should be third in the championship, but, you know, they they haven't really obviously performed to to deserve that third place. And like you say, here we are with uh, three races to go in the season, and that gap now between themselves and Ferrari may, in fact, just be too big. We both recall that Charles Leclerc had... I don't want to say that it was a qualifying session from hell because he ultimately DNF'd and ended the session, but he he qualified on pole because of that, the weird anomaly that is Formula One qualifying, but he obviously didn't start at Monza. But aside from that, Ferrari has one combined retirement this year. So from a reliability perspective, they've been really strong. Mm-hmm. But having said that, McLaren Mercedes as well, just two combined retirements 
this season as well. So the struggles that that McLaren are having clearly aren't aren't reliability issue that mm-hmm. from a design and engineering perspective, they've been really solid. And I don't think we would expect anything less given the fact that they're running the ultra reliable Mercedes power units. But again, credit to that team as well, because they of course took a car that was ultimately designed for a Renault, um, which was actually designed for a Honda and shoved a Mercedes power unit into the back of it. And of course they were given a little bit more creative license with respect to what they could do to the car to accommodate that power unit. But yeah, it's been a bit of a mystery what we've seen from that team. And I don't want to speculate too much on what could be driving that, but I would love to see a little bit more of a challenge and a bit more of a battle between those two teams over the final three races. Mm-hmm. It's just Qatar is going to be such a quick turnaround that I'm not necessarily sure we're going to see that. But that to me, and I've talked about it a lot this year, the three, four battle for me has been one of the most exciting ones simply because positions five, six, seven, they're so far back in the championship. And I just know how much third place means to both of those teams. For Ferrari, it's strictly a pride piece. And for McLaren, it's a financial game because they desperately need that that income, that that money to pay down debts and to continue to invest in the 2022-23 cars. You know, just before we move on to to something else, I I can't help but thinking that I think to myself that Charles Leclerc, this is a guy that we've been talking about and heaping praise on for the past uh, couple going on several years now. You know, going back to, you know, when he broke into Formula One with Sauber Alfa Romeo, or maybe it was even still Sauber at that time uh, when he uh, started his Formula One career. But I mean, he's almost become a bit of a, a forgotten man this year. I mean, we, we don't really talk too much about uh, Charles Leclerc. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, it, it's not that, you know, he's, well, I mean, he just obviously hasn't had the car to challenge for, for, for races. And it's not like he's been, um, you know, not getting out there and doing it. It's just that they just aren't in the position that they were a couple of years ago. And, uh, you know, just to, and I mean, when, when Charles, I mean, Charles is an exciting driver to watch and the, the, I feel like he's almost been a, sort of a, a bit of a, an add on, you know, this year it's sort of like, well, okay, this, this, this didn't happen. And then, oh yeah, Charles and Carlos uh, did this as well. I mean, Charles declared to me seems to have been a real sort of secondary source of news, if you want to put it that way. I mean, he, not really a name that pops up a lot to the, 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 the top of the list. So hoping to see that turn around for next year. Yeah, I very much agree. It was 2018. It was the first year, I think, that they were rocking the Alfa Romeo branding. It was still Alfa Romeo Sauber F1 team back there before it became Alfa Romeo. He only spent the one year with that team. He was very, very strong. I remember he finished the season with a string of seventh place finishes in a car that probably had no business being that far up the grid. (laughs) Absolutely not. He he had a great first year with the Scuderia. Obviously, that, that year is tarnished due to no fault of his own, but because of the... The FIA findings that have remained very, very secretive, but he ran off that dramatic win in Belgium. He won at Monza in front of the Italian crowd, Which and was that epic. was amazing on TV. Yeah. He finished second in Singapore. He finished third in Abu Dhabi. Shockingly, he did still finish 2020 with that second place finish um, at uh, at Austria, but the year aside from that and maybe a podium finish at the British Grand Prix was kind of a write-off. Some really strong points finishes throughout the balance of that season. This year, obviously, he had that second place finish at the British Grand Prix, but you're right. Just given where he was in terms of prominence and in terms of capturing headlines, if we flash back to 2018 and 2019, he's 
he's definitely disappeared quite a bit. And that despite the fact that he's racing for a team that's currently sitting third in the championship. But maybe, maybe if you spin this a different way, maybe this just speaks to the depth of young talent in the sport, right? Great it's not point. just that, hey, we're discrediting him or he's done something wrong necessarily, but the sport is just swimming in great young talent right now, whether it's George Russell or whether it's Lando or whether it's Charles or whether it's Max. There's just a ton of really great young talent. It's not just this one that happened to break through in a field of 30 five year old veterans is we've got so much young talent and that's a good news story but i'm sure as as ferrari continues to develop that car uh, he'll probably return to more prominence as he fights for podiums totally okay let's uh, jump into the mailbag now so i know you got a couple of things where do you want to start well, let me start with this one because I think this is, it's a fun question and it's one we get all the time. It comes from our friend on Twitter, a loyal follower. His Twitter handle is at F1 person. He actually has Gen DTS in his bio on his Twitter account, which obviously warmed my heart because that's <laughs> solid. That, that's awesome. That we love. But his question for you specifically, well, me specifically. You specifically, but I'm going to ask you specifically. The is, pressure. Hey guys. Hopefully simple question, brackets, Gen DTS. What is this bit? And it's a screenshot of a car showing the camera pod. Um, in fact, it's the yellow camera pod, so presumably from Bottas's car. What is this bit? And is there any significance of one driver on a team being neon yellow and the other not being neon yellow? You know, I, I just assume it's a way to differentiate uh, between the two cars. I mean, like in years gone by, like they would do uh, different things um, on the on the two uh, cars because obviously they have the same branding, the same sponsors, and things like that. I mean, Nigel Mansell back in the day had the uh, the, the nickname Red Five because the, the the Williams back in those days they had uh, sort of a dark blue nose to the car, and uh, they used to have like white numbers on them. And um, Nigel was uh, was 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 five. His teammate Nelson Piquet, I think, was six, or was that? Patrese, I don't remember at the time, but anyways, they put uh, you know they made Nigel's number red, and he was known as uh, Red Five. But you'd see that with the you know they put like little fluorescent doodads and little markers on the cars, so it's just a different way to differentiate uh, the, the the two. I mean, it's a little bit easier for us at home. I mean, we're sitting here, you know, we've all got like the eighty-five inch you know four <laughs> K TV and everything like that, or some of us do. Um, but you know, it's it's a little bit easy because you, we have the opportunity to to see the the, the driver's number on the side of the car or the helmets or some, you know, the, the, the identifying marks. So, I mean, if you're in the pits or up on the pit wall or something like that, you know, this car is screaming down the start finish uh, straight or wherever you're, you know, you're looking for this car at 200 plus miles an hour, that's going to be a little bit uh, easier to, to recognize that little fluorescent uh, marking on the top of the, uh, the, the, the camera than trying to look for the, the, the number because you're going to be looking for the number. The cars are going to be three corners down the track. It's a camera pod. It's basically just where they mount cameras. The FIA uses them. The broadcasters use them. And you absolutely nailed it. The team designates one color for one driver. Typically, the neon yellow would be assigned to a secondary driver. And different teams have different criteria for allocating that. Maybe it's tenure with teams. Maybe it's finishing the prior year's championship. It's it's less relevant. I think there was a point where it was important for viewers. But I think now that Drivers have more creative license when it comes to the designs on their helmets. Sometimes it's easier to pick out a driver based yeah. on the color and pattern and design of their helmet. Like that's clearly a Ricardo. That's clearly a Norris. That's clearly a Lewis. Um, so it's a little bit easier, but that's basically what it means. Now, another question, and this is a really good question. And I, I was tempted to save this for Thursday, but we're only an hour 10 in. So maybe we can take five minutes for this one. This comes from eternally loyal listener, 
Zach. And he actually sends me this because he's probably sent it five or six times and I always <laughs> lose sight of it. So I sent it to him a note saying, Hey, remind me clearly. So he did. And it says reminder for Thursday mailbag, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. So I actually had a question from one of your answers. Oh God, that means it wasn't a clear answer. You were speaking about the 2022 cars mentioning that there are all sorts of possibilities in iteration to iteration between teams. Of course, 2022 being the year where we should see far less variation in design from car to car. What if all the teams Mm -hmm. step outside the regulations? I heard you guys say there's the possibility that once we get to the reveals back in or next February, the cars don't even look like the reference model or the cars won't look like the reference model. Obviously, there will be a slight deviation from team to team. However, are you, from a seasoned consumer's perspective, erring to the possibility that the teams could take a little more creative freedom than allotted? Has this happened before? How do you protect or predict the FIA would respond to the teams take their creative of interpretation too far. So again, I apologize for stuttering a little bit there. I think I'm going to need to get contact (laughs) lenses at some point in the near future, but that aside, great question from Zach. So I'll let you take that one first. So basically it's like, Hey, how daring do you think teams are going to be when it comes to aero design? Well, I I think um, basically what it comes down to is, uh, you know, functionality, right? I mean, what is going to be the most efficient way to get the job done? And the job done is to, to keep the car on the track and to punch that, uh, you know, most efficient hole through the, uh, the, the air. Uh, you know, for, to to get the car down the track. Now, I mean, th- there has been a lot of talk about you know, like that that all the cars are going to look radically different, or they're all going to look exactly the same, and it really will be different. I mean, th- this you know, the the reason why there is this much discussion about it is we haven't really we well we we've never seen such uh, you know a, a massive change in the formula. I mean, we've seen changes here and there. I mean, twenty seventeen was the most most recent one but i mean it, it was it was subtle compared to the, the the massive changes we're seeing for 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 next years but i i think basically at least from my point of view is i i think that it will come down to to functionality and the parameters that they're required to work within the car has to weigh x number of kilos it can be so wide it can be so long it can be so high you know this are the the parts that you're permitted to have on the exterior of the car these are the elements that can make up a wing this is the, the elements that can make up a rear wing all these uh, different things and that that will be the real interesting thing is that when we see that first reveal you know be it williams or Haas, it tends to be one of the you know the the, the smaller teams that has their reveal first in and around uh, valentine's day or beginning of uh, february and then uh, you know they sort of uh, you know dial up uh, from there but that that first team is obviously going to get a lot of eyes on that uh, on that launch so that's why i kind of wonder this year just being the fact that it is such a watershed milestone moment in formula one are we going to see a little bit of a, a difference because i mean the big teams always seem to be the last couple of uh, big uh, reveals and i think that uh, as we see the first couple of teams launch and then you know the discussion is going to be you know after we've seen two three teams launch say oh these cars look exactly the same or they don't and this is what these cars are different and that's why it'll be fun to see is that when the, the the technical analysis comes out that you know when when the when the boffins get a you know hold of the pictures and everything, this is what Red Bull did compared to Mercedes you know to get around this problem. So it's going to be really really interesting, really fun to watch. Yeah, I think this is going to be very interesting to watch, and I've heard a few competing pieces of information. One was from somebody that I stay in touch with at a team in the UK. 
And he indicated that it's been made clear to the team through Liberty, through Formula One, and through the FIA that the FIA will not be looking kindly on teams that are looking to really push the boundaries of what the regulations are going to be. That the FIA is going to be very strict about regulating the regulations from the jump because the fear is that if they allow teams to push the boundaries too much early, it's going to be very difficult to get them back in line mm-hmm. subsequently. So there's this there's this consideration that the FIA is going to be very, very, very strict when it comes to governing these regulations. But I've also heard from other sources in the UK, so not from a team specifically, but from other sources in the media have told me that the FIA is going to allow some additional creative freedom next year because they know it's something of an adjustment period for teams as they try to adapt to an entirely new formula. So I'm hearing these two competing these mm-hmm. two competing sentiments. Now, my sense is the right thing for the FIA to do, especially in kind of light of the conversation that I was having a few minutes ago about not being consistent with governing and regulating what happens on the track is I think they need to manage this very, very closely. I don't want to see a championship next year where you have six or seven teams that subscribe to the formula. They execute a new aero design and philosophy based on the formula, but two or three teams step outside of that and they're successful because of it and because the FIA doesn't clamp down because I think that will create a really ugly narrative Mm -hmm. similar to what we saw in 2009 where we had a couple of teams rocking double diffusers ultimately they the FIA governed that or right or indicated that that was okay but I don't want to be in a position where there's a shadow over the championship so hopefully the FIA governs this very, very closely. Well, I mean, one other quick. Qu- oh, sorry. Sorry, I was just going to say uh, just before you move on. I mean, I guess there is recent precedent when it comes to these things. Uh, I mean, it's a little bit different, but the whole pink Mercedes thing with with Racing Point uh, last year. I mean, that's a little bit different about you know sort of the copying and have you know designing your own uh, unique uh, car. But I mean. Uh, <laughs> That I mean, there is precedent there in you know what you can, what you cannot do, and you know w- what the boundaries clearly are. But I mean, when it comes down to it, I mean, there are going to be certain parameters. This is what you can put into the car. The car has to match these basic uh, dimensions and 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 stuff like that. So it will be interesting to see when it comes down to the details how they work around some of these uh, different problems. But that won't be any difference than than any other era in Formula One. It's just like I say, it is such a massive change in where we have been. So that's what makes it uh, you know doubly fascinating going into 22. Last question. Sure. And I'm not going to answer this one today. I'm going to save it for Thursday when we've got a little bit more time. But this question comes from Lewis, not Lewis, L-E-W-I-S, but spelt what I would consider the French way because Louis? it's a little bit more complex. Yeah, mm-hmm. perfect. So I probably just butchered that. That's but my Canadian writes, showing, eh? <laughs> he writes, hey, Mark, H, that is, OG Flasher here. I've never heard an explanation for what happened to Flash F1 and how the transition to this podcast happened. It's like, ultimately, as much as I loved Flash F1, this podcast has been equally as fantastic, if not more so. But I'm hoping to have an explanation of what happened and how this transition occurred. So that's a longer story. (laughs) And, and, And Mr. Daly, if you're okay with that, I'll save that for the end of the next podcast if that's cool that's it's a cool whenever story. you want to do it's it a good man. Story. yeah yeah whenever you want to do it is fine with me 
Cool. Awesome. That's all I got, my friend. Well, well, you know, I'm not going to keep you any longer. I know that uh, you literally have to get on a plane, so uh, I'm not going to keep you any <laughs> longer because I felt so bad when you were like, dude, could we start like on time tonight? Uh, you know, I got to be up I at 4 I didn't say that specifically. No, I know, but I wanted to frame it that way because it sounds a little bit more dramatic. And, you know, you know, th- this is Formula One. Everything's, you know, a little bit more... We, we try to pump it up a little bit. Otherwise, it sounds a little bit mundane and uh, less exciting. Anyways, thank you all for uh, listening uh, this week. I hope you enjoyed uh, the the race weekend uh, as much as uh, we did. As Mark just mentioned, we will indeed be back on Thursday night. Between now and then, if you want to get in touch, by all means do so. Send us a tweet at ScuderiaF1Pod. Send us an email at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com. And behalf of myself and Mr. Mark Hamilton, have a great week. And we'll talk again very, very soon. Bye for now.